0: Good morning to you. Uh, If we've not met before, my name is Matt Luloyan. I have the privilege of serving uh, as the pastor of of Liberty Church. And um, as it's been said, I'll just be another face to to welcome you. For whatever reason you find yourself here today, we're just honored that you would take time uh, out of your Sunday uh, to be with us. We're going to be in uh, the book of Romans this morning for our teaching time. Uh, If you're using one of the black hardcover Bibles, you'll find some under the seat uh, or a seat in front of you or nearby. If you don't own a Bible, go ahead and take that with you when you leave today. That's our gift to you. If, you. if you know someone who doesn't have one and would like one, yeah, take that as well for them. If you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, uh, we're going to be on page 944 uh, in those. Uh, Robert Peterson uh, is a professor at Covenant Seminary, where I did my, my seminary studies. And a few years ago, he wrote a book that was called Adopted by God. After that book was published, he was asked in an interview about why he chose to to write on that subject, and also about uh, how he had seen uh, the Bible's teaching on adoption make a difference in people's lives. And in response to those questions, he said this. He said, "The doctrine of adoption is as warm as the Bible gets. I can hardly think of anything more comforting, more nourishing, more uplifting than the glorious truth that when we trust in Christ, We are made into the sons and daughters of the creator God. And he goes on to say, The Bible's teaching on adoption enables us to do what is difficult for some of us, to believe that God truly loves us. Now even if today is the first time that you've ever set foot into a church, you have probably heard somewhere along the course of your life that that God loves you, that the Christian God is a God of love, uh, that he loves you. That's one thing to hear, uh, that's one thing to acknowledge, it's one thing to maybe sing along in like a children's song of some kind. It's something else entirely though to know deeply and truly and sincerely that you are loved by God. And perhaps some of you are even here in this kind of place this morning, perhaps you've become convinced by something in your life that, that you are Unlovable. Or maybe you're completely at a loss right now for how a God who says he loves you could allow your life to look the way that it looks this morning. Wherever you find yourself in that, what I'm inviting you to do in our time together this morning in God's word is to believe, to truly believe that you are loved by God. And I'm going to invite you to believe that, not as some kind of Christian cliche, um, not as some sort of reductionistic, simplistic thinking, not even as meaningful as those children's songs are, not even as something as simple as those children's songs. I'm going to invite you to believe that through the robust substance of this salvation picture of adoption. That, That Jesus, that God loves you so much that through Jesus, he wants you and includes you into his own family. Romans chapter 8 is one of a few texts in Scripture where we read about adoption. And so listen now with open ears to this book that we love. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 12 and read through verse 17. So then, brothers or brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. God, our Father, our Father in heaven, compel us all to simply take you at your word this morning. Teach us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, and do not let us get away from your word without being astonished, without being caught up in its promises and its powerful joy. We pray this for our sake, Father, that we would know you truly as Father. And we also pray this for those that we love. And we pray that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So three things for us to um, cover from this passage this morning. Um, first, we'll talk briefly about the picture of adoption. What is the salvation picture of adoption? Second, we'll talk about the process of adoption. How does this happen? How are we adopted? And then we'll spend the, uh, the bulk of our time talking about the privileges of adoption. What does it mean for us that we are adopted into God's family? So first, the picture of adoption. Uh, These pictures of sin and salvation that we've been looking at together in this series over these past few weeks, and and we will continue to over the the next couple, they borrow from uh, different images of everyday life. So we've looked at birth We've talked about regeneration. We've looked at the courtroom when we've talked about justification. We've looked at washing or cleansing when we've talked about um, sanctification. Adoption uses this image of a Roman household to illustrate what salvation accomplishes. And what we come to see through this picture in Scripture is that apart from the saving work of Jesus, we are like orphans or we are like slaves, and even as I say that, that sounds a little bit odd because when we think about, okay, an orphan and a slave, those are two very different experiences in life, and especially as we think about that through our, through our cultural grid. But the common link between those two groups, between orphans and slaves, is that they are those without an inheritance. Orphans and slaves are those without an inheritance. So slaves or servants, they work for a family. They might even perhaps be treated well by a family, but they aren't actually part of that family. And so they have no right to the privileges, to the benefits, to the inheritance of that family. Same thing with orphans. Uh, In both Roman and Jewish households, inheritances were passed from fathers to sons. And an orphan, by definition, has no father and therefore has no inheritance. So that's the condition that we find ourselves in apart from God. And like a slave or like an orphan in first century Roman Empire, we find ourselves helpless to change that state by our own will or by our own work. We can't add ourselves to God's family. We can't make ourselves from a slave into a son. We can't make ourselves from an orphan into a son. God has to do that work for us. He must adopt us as his sons. And if it sounds sexist, or if it sounds backward, that I'm only saying sons there, and I'm not saying sons and daughters. Hang in there with me. Uh, when we talk about the salvation picture of adoption, we, sp- we speak specifically about sons or sonship, and that's for a very particular reason. It's because in this cultural context, only sons could receive an inheritance from the father. Daughters could not in the first century and in Jewish history. So when Paul says in verse 14 here, Romans 8:14. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. It's a revolutionary statement. It's not meant to exclude or marginalize women. Actually, it's very intentional language that would have been incredibly progressive and would have been incredibly gender-redeeming for women in the first century. Paul is saying, through Jesus, both men and women are now included in the inheritance. And so it will sound strange, it will sound perhaps backward to our modern sensibilities, but really, according to this salvation picture, both men and women together are sons of God. As with all of the pictures of salvation in Scripture, adoption is a dramatic change of identity. An author named Francis Lyle wrote a book called Slave, Citizens, and Sons, and in that he explores uh, adoption in, in the first century. And he says this, The profound truth of Roman adoption was that the adoptee was taken out of his previous state and placed in a new relationship of son to his new father. All of his old debts are canceled, and in effect, the adoptee starts a new life as part of his new family. It's like a complete do-over. It's a complete new life. And so consider the significance of this. Men and women like us, who would otherwise be no better and do no better than the state of slave or orphan. We become children not only of a father, but of God the Father. We become sons of the King, the father of all, who is described in the Bible as the one who is over all and through all and in all. And because we're adopted, we receive all of the rights and privileges that a son would receive, a new life in a new family. Why? Just because God loves you that much. Because God cares for you that much that he sees you in your state of orphan or slave separated from him and he makes a way possible for you to be included, adopted into his family. And so second, let's talk about that. How does that happen? What is the process of adoption? Flip over to Galatians chapter 4 for just a moment. We actually read both of these passages together today uh, in our liturgy. But Galatians chapter 4, it's another one of Paul's letters where he talks specifically about adoption. And Galatians 4 verses 4 through 6 say this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father." So taking these two passages together, Romans 8 and Galatians 4, we really get to see the brilliance and the unity of all three persons of the Trinity and how they bring about our adoption. So we see here that adoption was planned by God the Father. It says in Galatians 4 there, When the fullness of time had come, God sent. And when Paul says that in Galatians, that's an acknowledgement of the perfect timing of God. Immediately after humanity fell into sin, all the way back in Galatians chapter 3, right, the curse of sin comes into the world, and God immediately promises that salvation is coming, that he will bring about salvation, and God gets to work beginning that process. But it says here in Galatians 4, it's a pre, there's a precise, perfect moment in human history called the fullness of time, and in that moment, God sent forth Jesus into the world. So adoption is planned by God the Father from eternity past. Adoption is accomplished by the redemption of God the Son. It says Jesus was born of a woman. So being fully God, he takes on human flesh. He becomes fully human. And he does that so that he might redeem human beings like you and me. He was born under the law. It says he was born into this era of God's redemptive history where the law still acted like this guardian for us, this guardian that pointed the way forward to the day that Christ would come and our salvation, our adoption would be accomplished. And in order to save humanity that's suffering under the curse of that law, we can't fully live up to it, we're suffering under the curse of it, Jesus comes into the world, he perfectly obeys that law in a way that you and I never could. And even though... He obeys it perfectly then. He takes our place. He takes our place as our substitute so that God might not count our sin against us. And so adoption planned by God the Father from eternity past is accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus. How do you and I experience this adoption? We experience it really the same way we experience every other facet, every other aspect of salvation. We experience it by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And what Paul says what in both of these letters is that in conjunction with that faith God sends the gift of his holy spirit. So adoption's planned by God the Father, it's accomplished by God the Son, and it's applied, it's confirmed by God the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul gets into especially in Romans chapter 8, that it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in us that makes us sons of God. All who are led, he says, by the Spirit are sons of God. In verse 15, he says, uh, he even refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of adoption. It's like another name for the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of adoption. Most of the time when Christians think about the Holy Spirit, and we know we have a wide variety of backgrounds, I'm sure, represented in the room, um, more charismatic, less charismatic, um, wherever you find yourself in that, most of the time when we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, our minds go immediately to spiritual gifts, Right, The way that we are empowered and equipped by the Spirit of God to, to serve others, uh, maybe special spiritual gifts in worship, if that's part of the background that you've come from, your mind might go there. But more fundamentally than gifts, more fundamentally than that, the role of the Holy Spirit is to seal us. The role of the Holy Spirit is to confirm that we are adopted into God's family, that that's true for us. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 16 in Romans 8:16 when he says, "The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is in our lives confirming that we have a, that we have a place in God's family." So consider this. It's actually a really sad irony that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are often abused are often used in manipulative ways and are often used as a basis for comparison to differentiate and distinguish people. Like here's the superior people because they have these gifts and here's the inferior people because they have those gifts. It's a sad irony because the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is the definitive word that you don't have to prove anything anymore because you're already sealed as the sons of God. That's the more fundamental role of the Holy Spirit in our lives couple things that we learn then from thinking about this overall process of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit adopting us. One is that not everyone is a child of God. It's fairly common in our day to hear people when they're talking about expressions of, of unity and collaboration, all good things, it's fairly common that someone would slip in the phrase, well, we're all God's children. We're all God's children. But there's a difference between what we might call the universal fatherhood of God that because God created all of us in his image, that he is a father in that sense, there's a difference between that and the redemptive fatherhood of God, which is this salvation picture of adoption. So everyone, uh, regardless of belief or unbelief, everyone is created by God as his image bearer, and everyone is due an inherent uh, uh, dignity and, and worth because of that. But that's not the same thing as being adopted as sons of God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in his gospel. John, Sorry, the Apostle John says it this way in John chapter 1. To all who did receive him, meaning Jesus, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So there is this aspect of God being father in a universal sense because he has created all of us. But there's a redemptive fatherhood of God where only those who believe are given the right to become sons of God, children of God. The other thing we learn here is that adoption is not this long, drawn-out process that it is for us in human adoptions in our culture. So some of you, I know, have adopted children yourselves. Most of us probably know people or have people in our family or among our close friends who have adopted people. Good friends of ours uh, recently finished uh, the adoption process of uh, two of their girls. All told, that process took five years five years. The Independent Adoption Center says it takes an average of 12 months to finalize an adoption. That's when it's voluntary. That's when the parent or parents of a child is giving up voluntarily the rights to their child and saying, I I think that my child should be adopted. Oftentimes, those are contested. And oftentimes, children are are removed from their parents because it's an abusive or otherwise damaging situation. And the process just gets dragged out. And that's just even thinking about domestic adoptions. At least a quarter of the adoptions that Americans, uh, of American adoptions are done uh, internationally. And when you adopt internationally, that can stretch the time frame out even more than that. So there's a huge difference between what we might think of as this process of adoption and being adopted as sons of God. And to be sure, we will struggle to believe that this is really true for us. We will struggle to believe that we are really loved by God this much that we would be included in his family. We prayed in our prayer of confession today, forgive us for acting like orphans when we really are sons, right? Our life will be a process of believing this, but our adoption is not a process. By faith, adoption is an instantaneous reality of our salvation, Christ has died, Christ has risen, we believe and we are adopted into the family of God. So we've talked about the picture of adoption, we've talked about the process of adoption. Third, let's talk about the privileges of adoption. What difference does it make that we are adopted? You heard PJ as we began our service this morning quote J.I. Packer. Let me uh, give the longer form of that same quote that he shared earlier he says this, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how, how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Adoption is the highest privilege the gospel offers. So what What's the privilege that he's referring to there? What are the privileges of adoption? They are many, and this won't be a comprehensive list, but let's talk about a couple of them. One is intimacy. One is intimacy. Family relationships are intimate relationships. And among all of these portraits we have of God in Scripture, we come to know God as creator. We come to know him as righteous judge. We come to know him as the king, the king who is above all other kings, all of those are true portraits of God. But if that's all that we have in Scripture, we might come away with this notion that God is somehow removed from us relationally, or He's somehow distant from us, or He's cold and, and unfeeling. But adoption is personal, right? It's warm, as Robert Peterson said. It's, it's the warmest the Bible gets. It shows us that God is Father, and it paints this portrait of Jesus. Not only as the suffering servant and the resurrected Lord, it paints the picture of Jesus as the one who is not ashamed to call you and I brothers. And as we see in this text, it also paints the portrait of the Holy Spirit not as some kind of impersonal energy. We sometimes might think the Holy Spirit is kind of like the force in Star Wars, right? This impersonal energy. But the Holy Spirit is the enabler of intimacy, Right? The Spirit is the one who in, is, in, working in us propels us to cry out to God as Abba. And Abba is this incredibly personal and relational word for Father in the Aramaic language. Jesus uses that very word himself when he talks to God the Father. And so Paul is saying, The kind of relationship that Jesus has with God the Father, it's that kind of intimacy, that kind of relationship you can have with God the Father. You can approach him and call him Abba. We we pray in the Lord's Prayer each week when we do that. We use, whether we're aware of it or not, the language of adoption. That prayer begins, Our Father, our Father in heaven. And we don't always realize this. I think we often take it for granted but we get to address the all-powerful, all-holy creator and sustainer of all things in a relational way. We get to call God Father and Dad. With this intimacy comes access. Right? Children can approach their father in a way that no one else can. Right? God is not distant And as a father, he loves us, he cares for us as his children. So so there's access to come to him, to pray to him, to cast our burdens on him. And we can approach God not in the fear of the spirit of slavery, as Paul says here, but with confidence that God really wants to hear and that God will respond in a way that serves our greatest good. Just like a human loving father would, only to a divine degree. So that intimacy, that, that access, that confidence we can have when we approach God, those are all privileges of adoption. Another privilege is assurance. Assurance. How can we know whether or not we are really a Christian? Have you ever wrestled with that? Have you ever wondered, like, am I actually a Christian? Am I, is this actually real for me, or am I just, like, going through some motions here and, and playing along? How can we know? Well, there's the witness of Scripture itself. There's passages in our Bible, like John 3.16 and Romans 10.9, that say if we believe and if we confess with our mouths and declare with our mouths and with our hearts that Jesus is Lord, then we are saved. We can have confidence because of what Scripture says. But what's often overlooked, but what Paul says very clearly here in verse 16, is that the Holy Spirit's presence in us is a witness that we really are children of God. Puritan Richard Sibbs describes this internal witness, and, and maybe you can relate to this, even though the language is a little bit archaic. He says, Sometimes our spirits cannot stand in trials. Therefore, sometimes the immediate testimony of the Spirit is necessary, and it comes in saying, I am thy salvation. And our hearts are stirred up and comforted with joy inexpressible. If you've been a Christian, For longer than a week, you will encounter times of doubt. And maybe that's for you in the midst of a a besetting, persistent kind of sin in your life that you've seen there for a long time and you've wanted to be rid of, but it keeps coming back. Maybe that's for you in the midst of some complex intellectual questions. You're trying to reconcile science and faith, you're trying to reconcile a loving God with pain and suffering in the world. But in those moments, you will find, at least at times, wondering, am I really a Christian? Like, am I, do I really, is this really true and real for me? And it's the Holy Spirit in us that says, no, that that is who you really are. You're not an orphan anymore. And you're not a slave anymore. You really are a child of God. People misunderstand the, the, the Christian teaching about assurance of salvation all the time. Assurance of salvation is a gift for weak people. That's what assurance of salvation is. It's not presumption for arrogant people. So assurance of salvation is never meant to be this preemptive immunity where I say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and plan on sinning anyway because God's going to have to forgive me and he'll forgive me later. Right? That is to presume upon the grace and the mercy of God and to act to live that way would call into question whether or not I even value or perceive or understand the worth of Jesus' salvation in the first place, whether or not I'm a Christian in the first place. See, assurance of salvation, the spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we really are children of God, that's a gift for people like me who are weak and people like you perhaps who are weak who so desperately want to bear the family resemblance that we've been adopted into this family, but we fall short. We so desperately want to live and speak and serve as the presence of Jesus, but we can't. We can't do it as well as we'd want to. It's in that falling short, it's in that weakness that the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we have been adopted, that we belong, and that we are really loved as God's children. That we're not constantly on this razor-thin line between making it into God's family and, and being cut from the team. That's what the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, in our lives does. Okay, and the last privilege we'll talk about is our inheritance. Our inheritance. As verse 17 says, Adoption makes us heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. An heir is is the one who gets the inheritance, who inherits the wealth and the blessings of the Father. And in speaking about the the supremacy of Jesus, the author of Hebrews says that Jesus has been appointed the heir of all things. So think about this. Jesus is the heir of all things. He inherits God's renewed, restored creation. Adoption means that as co-heirs with Jesus, that we get to experience restored, renewed creation with Jesus forever. We get to rule and reign with Jesus as his co-heirs forever. The apostle Peter calls this the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance kept in heaven for you. But notice what Paul also says here, that that glorious future also assumes present suffering and present affliction and present trial. So our inheritance means that we both share in the sufferings of Christ and in the glory of Christ. Our adoption means, we don't think about adoption this way, our adoption means, guarantees, that we will suffer in this life. And sometimes we will suffer as a consequence of our own sin, in which case adoption is beautiful because it means that God will treat us as a loving and kind father treats a son. Not punishing us vindictively, not keeping us at arm's length, but disciplining and correcting us, helping us to walk in his ways. Other times we suffer like Jesus suffered at the hands of a world that doesn't know God or that is radically opposed to God. So to put it simply, to be adopted into God's family means you will get treated like part of the family. And in terms of our relationship with God, that's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing to be treated like family in God's family when we're talking about our relationship with God. That's a really precarious and volatile place to be when it talks about our relationship with a world that is opposed to God. In Jesus' case, it meant marginalization, it meant humiliation, it even meant death. But in all of it, in our present suffering, in these present privileges of adoption, in this future glory, what is our inheritance as Christians? What is our inheritance? And more than anything else, what we see in Scripture is that our inheritance is God himself. Right? We get to be with God, and we get to be with God forever. This relationship that we are invited into his family continues on into eternity. And God himself is our inheritance. And all of this is why J.I. Packer says that adoption is that important and that adoption changes everything about our worship, about our outlook on life, about the way we see the world and the way we interact with other people in the world. All right? Adoption really is meant to be for us, as it's a picture of salvation then, a lens through which we understand all of life. And there are some great resources out there. I'd be happy to talk with any of you more about these or get these in your hands Uh, resources like the Gospel-Centered Life, resources like a discipleship program called Sonship. But just to give you a small taste of this, here's just a few of the ways that that this lens of adoption impacts our lives. And if you guys could put that up on the slide real quick. uh, There's one slide that, yeah, here we go. Consider the difference between the way an orphan or a slave thinks about the world, looks at the world, versus the way a son or a child does. An orphan or slave looks for satisfaction in positions or possessions. A son or a child is, is truly satisfied by God. God truly satisfies your soul. An orphan or a slave needs to look good. We've got to prove ourselves. We've got to build a reputation for ourselves. A son or child says, no, I already have that. I already have a place. I don't need to make a name for myself anymore. An orphan or a slave is a competent analyst of others' weaknesses. I love that phrase. Competent analyst of others' weaknesses. A son or child is actually able to freely confess our own faults. We're looking more at our faults rather than the faults of others. An orphan or a slave is not very teachable. They're defensive when they're accused of being in error or weakness. A son or child says, you know what? I am weak. I need the Spirit of God to testify that I really am part of God's family. I'm open to criticism because I don't rest on my own performance. I rest on Christ's perfection. An orphan or a slave needs to be right all the time. A son or a child doesn't have to always be right. An orphan or a slave feels powerless to defeat the flesh, to defeat the sinful nature. A son or a child experiences more and more victory over the flesh. Again, not to gain a position in God's family, but because you already have it. It's become who you are. You already are a son. Now you get to act like one. See, this is just a taste of the lenses of adoption and how they will impact every single facet of your life. And I'll close with this One of the most powerful ways that this picture of salvation will resonate with the real people you know in this room, on your street, at your job, it has to do with shame. It has to do with shame. The people that that you and I cross paths with every day carry a lot of shame around with them. And shame at its core is this plaguing question Am I enough? Am I enough? Am I acceptable? Am I valuable? Am I lovable? And, and that's shaped by our backgrounds. That's shaped by our experiences in life. That's shaped by our, our own sin patterns. But there will be parts of our lives where we struggle deeply with these questions of shame. And maybe for you or the people you interact with, maybe that's small and nagging in its largest subconscious. Maybe it's very conscious and it's all-consuming and you walk around with shame in your life all the time. If you're like me, whenever that those thoughts come up, you're prone to, to bury it, to just try to keep them at bay through hard work, through entertainment, through various means of escape, just to try to cope with that. But adoption is God's gracious and definitive answer to our struggle with shame. Right, we ask this question deep within our soul: Am I enough? And God says, yes. Yes, enough to be loved by a good and perfect God, enough to become co-heirs with Christ. Through the finished work of Jesus, you belong in God's family. God loves you enough to make you part of his family. Right? You are loved by God. I told you at the beginning I was gonna invite you and to dare to believe that you are loved by God. May you see in this salvation picture of adoption that you truly are loved by God. May you believe that this morning. I and mean, may many others come to know that and to believe that as well. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, where would we be apart from your gracious love? We would be left as orphans. We would be left as slaves. We would be like those without hope, without an inheritance. And God, we know that we act like that anyway sometimes even though it's not true and so we are grateful Jesus that you have not only adopted us but that you have given us your spirit and that the spirit in us bears witness that we are children of God I pray for all the weak men and women here this morning who have the spirit of God but who would wrestle in their hearts and say am I a Christian I don't know I'm so weak and beat up and broken right now. Would your spirit testify with their spirit loudly this morning that they have been adopted into your family and that they are loved by you? And for any who are here who who don't know you, Jesus, or believe in you, that believe that you have accomplished this for us, may this picture just be compelling this morning. And as, as we as human beings come face to face with our shame and these plaguing questions about whether or not, may we see definitively, God, that you say yes. I love you, and you are welcomed into my family through the work of Christ. May we come with confidence. May we come as sons, beloved by our Father. I pray this in your name, amen.